0: you guys hear me this morning? Can we give a round of applause for uh, the Lord and just meeting us this morning and being in his presence? Um, Can we also clap and just praise God for all the volunteers? They were here from 9 a.m., and I was prepping a sermon. Uh, We just got back from vacation, and uh, I was in the office all day. And uh, when I came out, man, it looked like Christmas threw up here. And uh, it it looks beautiful out there. And so can we just uh, thank them for all their hard work? We are so glad to be back in person with you this week. My name is Taylor, and I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here. Uh, If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Psalm 148. Psalm 148 is where we're going to be at this morning. We've been on this sermon series entitled Psalms for the Season. Psalms for the Season. Uh, And I just want you guys to know, me, Nate, and John, we spent about uh, 40 minutes sitting in our offices thinking about what our church needed to do or hear or think about God's word and who he is as we approach the end of the year and we end the year with 2020. Uh, And we thought that singing is exactly how we needed to end the year, that we need to give God praise and adoration and worship for his name, for who he is, and for what he's done. Uh, And so Psalm for the Season is what we're on. Uh, We're on Psalm 148, uh, but I want to talk about uh, something that happened a few weeks ago. My wife asked me a few weeks ago to attend one of our kids' uh, doctor's appointments. And uh, so, like a good husband that I am, I said, yes, honey, I'll be there. I'll make sure I'm there, so I cleared my schedule. Uh, and then Monday eventually came, and um, she works at Bowling Air Force Base in D.C. So she works um, about 30 minutes away, so I knew that I had to uh, like really plan to be there on time. Uh, and she told me like where it was, what was going to happen? And Monday comes. I'm on my way. Uh, you want to give me a handheld mic? Or no? Maybe. Are you, keep you guys hear me? Try again? Yes, no, maybe. HH1. Can you hear me now? We good? This work? All right, great. All right, so I'm on my way to DC. We're back, you guys with me? You ready? All right, uh, so I'm on my way to DC. I'm on my way to this doctor's appointment uh, in a sidebar, Stefano, one of our interns, was in the car with me. Uh, and my wife calls and she's on speaker in my truck. And uh, I answer, she's like, hey, how far are you? I say, I'm 10 minutes away. And she's like, great, when you get to Andrews, uh, make sure you take a right and the clinic's on your right. And I'm thinking, Andrews, you work at Bowling. Uh, and uh, she says, Taylor, I told you ten times uh, it's Andrews Air Force Base, not Bowling Air Force Base. What are you doing? And I was like, Oh no! Uh, this was one of those moments as like a husband when you just like you know regret life and you think you can't recover. And I was like, in my mind, I was like beating myself with a bat like over, and over again. Uh, and so, um, because I've been taught to like respond and not react, I very calmly said. Uh, babe, I'll uh, reroute the GPS and I'll be there as soon as I can. She said, okay, and she hung up. And then I looked to my right, and Stefano's looking at me like, you're in trouble. Like, this is this is not good. And, and he was right. I was trying not to panic. Uh, and so uh, long story short, uh, I get to Andrew's Air Force Base Clinic at 109. I'm like nine minutes late. I don't even park the car. I like drive straight up, jump out of the car. I'm tossing Stefano the keys. He's yelling at me where to park. I run inside the clinic i don't want to miss this appointment i run inside the clinic and then uh and then there's like covid so i have to like do the answer the questions and i have to do the hand sanitizer and then i'm like where where's radiology and i'm like figure it out and i run down the hall and then and then i i finally get to where i'm going and i i walk around the corner and in the doctor's office it's like a, a dimly lit room and my very understanding wife is laying on the table and uh, she's got jelly all over her stomach and on the screen uh, the screen that we saw is this so, uh, and uh, yeah, so maybe oh that screen there we go yeah that's it. So uh, June 2020, uh, we're gonna make a disciple. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, and in a much bigger and in a much grander way this morning, as we talk about Advent season, as we talk about Advent, the whole purpose of Advent. Is that in the same way that there was a lot of anticipation for this doctor's appointment in a much more divine way in a much bigger way the purpose of celebrating Advent is that from now until Christmas we will do what we can to stir in our hearts and to remind us of the greatest news of all that we have the best reason in the entire world to respond to the good news of the gospel with clapping and with cheering and with shouting and with praise and with adoration for our Savior. Because here's the truth. You guys just clapped and you just responded and it was because I told you good news. And that is the natural human response to good news, that, that we would actually like, do something in response to what has happened. And in Psalm 148, uh, I really believe that it's gonna help us see that this morning. And so the the big idea behind this series is that we as a church would respond to God in praise and worship and adoration in the anticipation of the coming Messiah. Uh, And so if you have your Bibles, uh, Psalm 148, beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon Praise them all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling the word mountains and all hills fruit trees and all cedars beasts and all livestock creeping things and flying birds and verse 11 kings of the earth so we're not finally talking about people kings of the earth and all peoples princes and all rulers of the earth young men and old and maidens together old men and children let them praise the name of the lord for his name alone is exalted his majesty majesty is above the earth in heaven and then finally, verse 14, there's just been build up until verse 14, he has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, I pray this morning that as your word is ta- taught, that our hearts would be encouraged, that they would be convicted, and that we would be inspired to do what this psalm is encouraging us to do, that we would praise your name for who you are and what you've done. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. So in summary, Psalm 148 is basically saying this. You can write this down. It's on the screen. Everything that was and everything that is and will be worship God, especially you. So notice the breakdown real quick. Notice the breakdown. Uh, In in verses 1 through 6, it's all about praise to God for establishing the heavens. Praise to God for establishing the heavens. We read, heavens, heights, and hosts, that everything above the earth that should praise God because they are, because they exist, and then verses 7 through 17 are about praising God for exalting Israel. See, 13 verses, you have these different things that are mentioned, that are, that will be, that are, that are going to be, all different levels of creation starting from above the earth. This includes the angels, the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon, the clouds, the sea creatures, then nature, weather, and then earth itself, then living things and animals, and then lastly, He mentions Israel, God's people. All of that to say, everything that was and is and will be worship God, especially you. And I say especially you because Israel is God's chosen people, and today the application as believers is that those in the room who claim to believe in the life and the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's verse 14, for those who have put their faith and their trust in the horn that God has raised up for his people, especially you, church, especially you, City Light, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So doctrine and dancing, it was on the screen earlier, I think it's behind me still, Uh, today's message is entitled Doctrine and Dancing, and we're going to see from the text a doctrine of worship, and then what I hope, if you let me, is to show you dancing as worship, dancing as worship. So doctrinal worship, and then I think it's helpful if we define terms. So doctrine, it's an important church word, and it simply means a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church. And then worship is our response. This is our working definition for worship. Worship is our response to who God is and and what he's done. It's our response to who God is for what he's done. Uh, And so what we're really asking here is what do we believe as a church? about our response to who God is and what he's done. What do we believe about worship? Now, listen, when we talk about worship today, uh, I really want to get at the heart of the issue. And this entire psalm, it builds and builds and builds until it hits verse 14, almost like a brick wall. And as I explained, um, it, it describes Israel's Israel in, the, in that verse, God's people, and in the NIV, ESV says that they're close to him. NIV says that they're the people close to his heart. They're the people close to his heart. And so, so when it comes to worship, I want to look back in the Old Testament of God's instructions to Israel and, and what he told them to do as it relates to worship. And so uh, I want you guys to look at the person next to you and say Shema. Shema. Look at somebody and say Shema. So, so in, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 and 5, we have is w- what is known as the Shema. And in ancient Israelite tradition, the Shema, it was like equivalent to like the Lord's prayer today. It was a prayer that was repeated often. And so this is what it says. Uh, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7 just for context. Uh, This is Moses talking to Israel. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So, so that's the Shema. J- just, just four and five is the Shema. And so, so once Moses has Israel's attention, God's chosen people, the people that are near to his heart, Moses tells Israel, love him. Love him with all of your heart. The Shema was a prayer. It was a prayer that was prayed often, and it's been said that it was the most influential prayer in all of Jewish history. So influential that it eventually functioned as like a pledge of allegiance. As a pledge, you pledge with your right hand. I should my wife will get mad at me for that. Uh, you pledge with your right hand, but it's a, it's a pledge of allegiance or, or a psalm of praise or a hymn of praise that they would sing it morning and evening. And then we find out like later on in the New Testament around Matthew chapter 22, This lawyer, he comes up to Jesus. Uh, Maybe you've read this story. This lawyer comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, of all the commands in the Old Testament, of all the commands in the Old Testament, there's about 600 of them. There's like 600 or so. Which one is your favorite one, Jesus? Which command is your favorite one? Which one is the most important command, the greatest command in the entire scriptures? And Jesus says, you want the most important command? Here's the most important commandment, of them all. And Jesus immediately responds and he quotes the Shema, he quotes the Shema. Jesus tells the lawyer, you want the most important command of all time, you might want to write this down, so take out your iPad or your phone or your quill or your parchment and write this down, the most important command of all, and he starts with love, love, and so. So you're thinking, no, 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 love, love is like a feeling, love, love is like an emotion, love, love's not a command, and Jesus says, nope, love, it's a command, it's a command, and it's the most important commandment of all, that you shall love me with all of your heart, and that worship to God is, is our response to him for who he is and what he's done, and it comes from the heart that you shall love me with all of your heart. And now, when I, when I say that, that worship is our response, I realize, and this is true, that we worship God in the way that we think, in the way that we work, in the way that we drive our cars, in the way that we watch Netflix, like, like all of our lives is worship. And I, and I, and I recognize that. And Jesus, Jesus covers that in the rest of the verse when he mentions soul and strength. But he starts with the heart, he starts with the heart, and I'm just more and more convinced that as I study the doctrine of worship and what's, what's important for us in this time, in our culture, in the world that we live in, in light of the issues that we're currently struggling with as a church and as a society, that if worship for you and I does not start with heart adoration and response for who Jesus is and what he's done, then it hasn't started at all. It hasn't started at all that we're not worshiping. Because see, I'm betting, I'm betting that the lawyer, he was looking for more like a, um, like a thou shall not. Like Jesus, love is not a command. Like thou shall not steal, or thou shall not covet, or thou shall not lie. And, and Jesus would say like, nah bro, like those, those are important, but they are really, they are really just a byproduct of this one foundational command, love me with all of your heart with all of your heart, and so uh, when it comes to church history, I just want to take you on a journey for a minute, a big problem in church history is in 325 AD, 325 AD, there was a lot of like false teaching happening in the church, there were a lot of heresies, and there were a lot of people uh, taking the Bible, and like adding to, and taking from, and there's all this confusion, and so like all Christians do, when there's a problem, we have a meeting, and um, so a bunch of people got together, all these smart guys got together, and they had a council, uh, and they basically met to, to come up with what was the boundaries, if you will, or the outline of what Orthodox Christianity is and what it's not. And, and they came up with this list of beliefs called the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you grew up in a church where you quoted the Nicene Creed? Okay, great. Uh, well, a lot of you. Wow. Okay. Well, if you grew up in that tradition, typically you're the type of person that isn't comfortable with raising your hand in church. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, so the Nicene Creed. Now listen, I want to be really clear. I am pro-Nineteen Creed. I am for that. I agree with that. I say yes and amen. I say yes and amen to that. Uh, also the Apostles Creed. Uh, I, I think that doctrine and theology and right belief is very important, um, but here's the problem is that when you look at everything that that creed mentions, what it doesn't mention at all is loving God. There's no mention at all about loving God. That that uh, we should all sound like Will I Am for Black Eyed Peas. Um, like where is the love? Because because um, there, there's just no mention of it. And if and if Jesus was writing a creed, Jesus, as we saw earlier, he would start with "Love me with all of your heart." Love me with all of your heart. Now I'm going to say this again, just so you guys hear me loud and clear. Right belief is very, 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 very important. It's very important, right, doctrine, right, theology? They're very important. In fact, I would say it's impossible to love God with all of your heart if you don't rightly believe God. And so, uh, for example, if I wrote my wife a love song and I uh, talked about in that song how I love her black hair and how I love her blue eyes and how I love that time that we fell in love at the beach. And I sang that song to my wife with all of my heart and I just poured it out my wife would look at me like I'm crazy because she does not have black hair, she does not have uh, blue eyes, and we did not fall in love at a beach. She would say, you're writing about somebody else. And so, so right belief is really, really important. But, but in, uh, in, in, in John chapter four, uh, Jesus is having this worship conversation. He's having this worship conversation with this woman at the well. Um, hopefully you know this story. And he's talking to her about about right place and right time he's talking to her about all these different things and then and then jesus says to her uh, uh john 4 but the time is coming and indeed it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth the father is looking for those who will worship him in that way so so your heavenly father is looking for true worshipers not theologians not authors not servants he's looking for worshipers true worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth spirit and in truth just like doctrine and dancing and so we have to understand these two words as complementary that they're not opposing that they complement one another that it's not one or the other that it's both that here at city light church we're going to be led by the spirit but we're also called to be occupied by the word and now as i said before worship it is a lifestyle it's everything that you do All of the things that you do from Monday until Sunday, that everything you do in life should be an act of worship. But when it comes to dancing as worship, what we're talking about this morning is singing and the corporate time together as a body. That's primarily what we're talking about this morning. And so, um, you know, singing on a Sunday morning, what we do, what we just did for like 15 minutes, that was God's idea. That the reason that we do that is because there are countless scriptures that command that you and I sing to God, including Psalm 148. So look at verse one again in Psalm 148. It says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. When we say praise the Lord, this is actually, uh, in the Hebrew, it's actually two words that are smashed together. It's like a Hebrew traffic jam. And we get this word, hallelujah, hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Yeah, this word is two Hebrew words. The first word, halal, and the second word is Yahweh. Now, halal, it literally translates to jump up and down, to lift your hands, and to turn in circles. That's what it means. And, and, and to be clear, it means to praise, to shine, to boast, to show, to raise, to celebrate, and to be calamorously foolish. That's what halal means. And then the second word, Yahweh, is the covenant name of God. It's the covenant name of God. And so what the Bible says is lift your hands, jump up and down, spin around onto the Lord. Praise the Lord, Hallelujah. That's what it means. That's what it means. And in in thirteen of the fourteen verses in this psalm, we see the word praise. That first word, halal, and it means to be expressive. It means to be expressive. And next week, uh, Pastor Nate, I'm a little jealous. He gets to preach on the next psalm. It starts with praise the Lord. And if you drop down to verse three, it says praise him with dancing. Praise him with dancing. Now, here's where I hope to make a few of you uncomfortable this morning. So. Uh, some of y'all are thinking, I was taught dancing is a sin, right? Like, it's right there, dance, sin, dance, it's, that's what it is, it's, it's sinful. And, and the problem is, if your past is anything like mine, if your past is anything like mine, what has happened for so many of us is that our home church or our denomination or our tradition or your grandmother taught you what worship looks like, what it sounds like, and what it feels like. And, and that's true for me, too. I'll take you on a journey in a second and talk to you about, like, my church past. Um, but what I want to happen for us here at City Light is I want this to determine what worship feels like, what it sounds like, and what it looks like. See, I was raised Catholic. I was raised in a Catholic church. Uh, and I didn't spend a ton of time there, but I I would go often with my grandmother, uh, St. Anthony's Catholic Church. I think there's a picture on the screen. My earliest memory of singing in church was in Cape Cod, Massachusetts in 1994, 1995, somewhere around that time, Uh, but for all I knew, it was like year 117, because as you guys know, when you walk into a Catholic church, it's like being teleported back into time, because they really care about tradition. They really care about tradition, and we would sing, um, or to be honest, it was more like chanting. It was more like chanting, and being at a yoga class because there's like a lot of up and down and like, you'd like peace be with you. There's just, there's a lot of stuff happening and you had to pay attention to be like quick on your feet. Uh, and I just remember, I remember being so bored and, uh, in the Catholic church growing up. And, uh, I, my grandmother knew I was bored too. I know she knew I was bored because every time we went to mass, she always brought with her an entire purse full of Werther's originals and she would slip me (laughs) Werther's originals so that I would sit there and I would behave in church. Uh, and and so, so I was Catholic for a little bit. And then uh, we moved to Virginia. And then my mom started dragging me to New Hope Church, which was like a church plant. It was like a seeker-friendly church. And there were drums on stage. And there was a band. And there was a guitar. And uh, my first experience of being at New Hope Church, I just remember standing there and like looking around like what is going on. And not overnight, but over time, you know, eventually, like you're standing there. And then eventually it's like, every move I make, I'm making you. Like, like you start getting into it a little bit. And, and you, and, and, and something begins to happen. And I wasn't even a believer then, but, but that was my experience. And then, and then we moved to the country, moved to Luray, or if you're not from there, Luray. Uh, and, uh, I went to Rileyville Baptist Church, Rileyville Baptist Church. And at Rileyville, we sang songs like Amazing Grace, or There's Power in the Blood. And I was a believer at Rileyville. And so I would even participate. I would like close my eyes and, and, uh. And man, and I know what some of you guys are thinking, you're like, they're not songs, they're hymns, and that's just complicated. Hymns sounds like the opposite of she's, and it's just easier to say song. So um, I remember singing those songs, and I remember the spirit moving, Uh, and then I even remember my first time in a charismatic church, in a charismatic church. Uh, And charismatics, Pentecostals, y'all know how to praise, y'all know how to dance, y'all know how to worship— um, it was a youth event at Manassas Assemblies of God. Uh, so we took our youth van and we went to MAG. And I remember this was like the first time where I really got into worship. Like I remember the bass for the, the, the uh, worship team band. It was just so loud. I could like feel it in my chest. And, and a lot was happening in my life at that time. And I was beginning to learn how to pour out my heart in adoration and praise to God. And that night I really got into worship. I, like, really got into worship. And back then, really getting into worship for me meant that I had, like, two hands up. That's it. I had, like, two hands up, and I even had my eyes closed. And then I remember at one point during the service, I, like, opened my eyes, and from the left side of the stage all the way to the right, a flag just, like, flagged all the way across the stage. Somebody was running with a flag, and I just had no category in my mind to know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with that. Like, like, what's the flag doing here? Uh, I thought if my grandmother saw this, she would die. She would literally she would just die because, because I didn't know what to do. And so So listen, there are, there are a lot of wonderful things from all different types of churches and traditions. There are a lot of wonderful things. So if I offended you today, great, perfect. Um, my goal My goal is to equally offend everybody across the room. Uh, and if I missed anybody, just come up to me afterwards, and I'll direct one right at your church tradition um, but, but here's what this means. What it means is that for the Bible nerds in the room, for those in the room that really, really, really love theology and doctrine and truth, and you get excited about those things, I need you to get excited about what you know. I need you to get excited about what you know. And then for the other side of the you, for the charismatics in the room, the flag wavers, I need you to know why you're so excited. I need you to know why you're so excited. Um, I feel like uh, some of you are still thinking, dancing? Like, like really dancing during worship? That's, that's just not my personality. Like, that's just not who I am. I'm not an expressive person. And, and I would just say to you uh, that if that's you, well, well we all worship something. We all worship something, that you worship something. We worship whatever we value most. And I promise you that if I could follow you around for one week and I could watch your attitude, your bank account, or your time, I could figure out what you worship because we all worship something. And, and even maybe, maybe some of the men in the room, you know, you come in here on Sunday and you're like a tough guy so your, your arms are just crossed. You're just like this, just not involved, there's, there's no... There's there's, there's, no, nothing, there's nothing there, like zero emotion, because you're tough. you think you're tougher than David? Raise your hand if you've ever killed a bear or a lion with your bare hands. Or what about the Apostle Paul? He was pretty tough, right? The Apostle Paul was tough. He was shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead. He was flogged. And he was a terrorist. He killed Christians before he met Jesus. That's tough. You know what happened when he worshipped? An earthquake broke out, and his jail cell doors fell off, and then he led the jailers to Jesus. That's his worship. See, I, I grew up in a house with a tough guy. I grew up in a house with a, with a man's man, like a Ugh, I'm, I'm tough. Like uh, a, a guy who was 6'2", 240 pounds. He, he was really tough. He was, he, he was a tough guy not about to raise his hands in church, are you crazy? There's no way, I'm a man, that's not how men act. But you know what though, if I took that same tough guy to a NASCAR race and we were watching Jeff Gordon win, he lost his mind. We were, we were high-fiving everybody around us in the stands. Uh, he was like arm in arm with a guy that was drunk right to his left and, and, and we were cheering because Jeff Gordon won and he was worshiping and I'm guilty of it too, Patriots game 2010, 50 yard line. Julian Edelman catches a punt at the five yard line. Next thing you know, 30, 40, 20, 10, touchdown, touchdown. This this is touchdown, touchdown, both hands in the air. Can we do that? Can we just make sure our arms work? Touchdown, yeah, touchdown. You know what touchdown means? Touchdown means we've won, it means we've won. And I've read this book to the end, you and I have won. We have won, we've won the journey. Jesus has conquered it all and we've won. We have a reason uh, to raise our hands. And I'm not saying that any of those things that aren't church are bad or wrong. What I'm saying is, is that the reason God has wired us that way is primarily for him. It's primarily for him. Worship is a response to who God is and what he's done. And so the opposite is true then that if worship is a response to who God is and what he's done, then how I worship is, a, is evidence of who I am and what God's done for me. It's evidence of who I am and what God's done for me. And so I want to take a quick moment and tell you why I worship. So most of us grow up with this understanding of the gospel. So this represents your life. It's a timeline of your life. And then at some point in your life, you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You surrender your life to the saving grace that is the cross, the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins, and he paid the penalty of wrath on the cross for your sins so that you and I could have separation from sin and freedom in this life. But this is a flawed view of the gospel, because what happens in this model is, is that the more I grow and the more that I mature in my faith, the further and further and further and further away I move from the gospel the further and further away I move from the gospel. And so a better way to think about it is this, that, that we're, we live and then we sur- surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ at some point in our lives, that we, we repent from sin and we trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection at this point in time. And then what happens for every one of us, including me, this is why I worship, is that when I did this, when I recognized who God was, two things happened simultaneously from that point. The first thing is that I began to realize how good God was, how just he was, how holy he was. That that he's holy and good and just and mighty and he's great and he's to be praised and there's just so much goodness. And just when I think I figured out how good God is, he shows me really how good he is. And at the same exact time, what happens is, is I begin to realize how broken I am and how messed up I am. The Bible says that we are all wretched, that we are, we are black-hearted sinners, that, that we, have, we have been uh, born into sin. And in fact, it says that we are dead. We are spiritually dead. And if that offends you, it's because you're a sinner and you're spiritually dead. And this sin is an issue. And it's not like, it's not like the cross just like fixes us. But what it does do is it makes us aware of our sinfulness. It makes us aware of our depravity. And so two things are happening at the same time, that the longer you and I become sanctified, the longer that we walk in our faith and the more mature we become as we read the Bible and we get to know who God is in light of who we are, there's this void of like, God, you are so holy and I am so not. You are so good and I am so not. And the only thing, the only thing that can fill that void is the cross. And in this model, The cross, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's the only thing that keeps me tethered, and it's the only thing that fills this void between who God is and who I am. In this model, I move further and further away from the cross, and in this model, man, my heart... The cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in my heart. And my response to that, my response to who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus has done is, Lord, I will sing, I will praise, I will shout, I will dance, I will kneel, I will sit there quietly, and I will do it all for your name. I will do it all for your name, Lord, because you paid it all on a cross for me 2,000 years ago. And ever since that day, my life has been changed forever, and it has given me hope and purpose and mission. And so that's why I praise the Lord. That's why I praise the Lord. That's why I worship God. That we worship God for who he is and what he's done. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you stepped out of heaven 2,000 years ago and you were born in a manger and that because that baby was born 2,000 years ago, everyone in this room today who chooses to believe in your life, death, and resurrection can have saving faith. Lord, I thank you so much for that truth. I thank you that as we celebrate the Christmas season, Lord, that we would sing psalms of praise to you, and that you would be pleased by your people worshiping your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.